First Timothy chapter three tonight. Just follow along. I'd like to just uh, share these three verses tonight, and then I'm going to divide my message up into sort of three parts. I want to look, take a look at references to singing and songs in the New Testament how prevalent it was. And then I want to focus on why the church is important in its connection with all of this. And then I want to look at the content of this song or part of a song that I believe that Paul includes here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're actually going to look at some other, I believe, songs or parts of songs that are included in the New Testament. As I shared on Sunday... Most Christians would understand that the book of Psalms is, has a lot of songs in it. Uh, but that, that's not only the only place in the Bible where there are uh, references to the songs, if you will, of God's people. So again, follow along with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're looking actually to tonight in verses 14 and 15 at the key verses of the letter that everything centers around. Paul tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you that in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God because it is the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. And we all agree our religion contains amazing revelation. He was revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. I believe that verse 16 is an early church worship song, or a part of a worship song. And again, we're going to see how this ties in to the teaching of God's Word tonight, too, and how worship and the Word should complement one another. It's one of the things that we try to do here at the Oasis. So with that said, keep your finger there in 1 Timothy 3. We're going to come back there. I want to begin uh, sort of going through a little bit of the New Testament tonight in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. This is speaking about the Last Supper. And Mark writes, while they were eating, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And after taking the cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Then he, Jesus, said to them, This is my blood, the blood of the covenant that is poured out for many. I tell you the truth, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then notice verse 26. After singing a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives. A hymn is simply a song of worship that obviously includes words. It's more than just an instrumental. A hymn has to be something that has words to it that praises and worships God. And you think about it. Jesus and the twelve disciples, after he had gathered them together for the Last Supper, took the time to sing a song before they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now notice also the context of when is Jesus leading his disciples in singing? 
And how would that cool have been to have been a part of that group? To have been one of those 13 that heard Jesus lead his disciples in singing praises to God. But let's again remember the context of when this was. The disciples didn't really know the full intent of what was going on, but Jesus sure did. And Jesus was leading them in singing a song to God, knowing full well that this was the night in which he was going to be betrayed. It was within 24 hours that he would be brought to trial. He would be scourged. He would be crucified and all this. And yet he's leading his disciples in singing. Why? Because singing and praising God and worshiping God is not to be linked to our circumstances. It's linked to who God is and who God has revealed himself to be in our lives. And that's why no matter what our circumstances, we are called upon as God's people to always live a life of praise and worship and singing to God. As I shared earlier, I believe that God created the universe to sing to Him. Think about the birds that sing their songs to God. Even Job said that he believed that the stars sang to God in the book of Job. The universe sings to God. Well, go over with me then to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you have Paul and Silas. And where are they? They're not in a good place. They're in prison. But in prison, in Acts chapter 16, notice what they are doing. Verse 25, Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the rest of the prisoners were listening to them. You see, singing was just, in the early church, it was a normal part of a believer's life. They didn't even wait till they gathered together corporately to sing. They were just always singing. Knowing the words of these hymns and these songs were important to them. And they would sing them, whether it was at the Last Supper or like Paul and Silas, they would sing them even while they were in prison. Because again... Singing to God, worshiping God, praising God is irrelevant of our circumstances. There's always place to worship and praise God and sing to Him no matter what our circumstances are. And of course, it was a great testimony that Paul and Silas gave to the Lord. Then if you go over to the New Testament book of Ephesians, I just wanted to share this these couple of verses with you, and again, how important singing and praise and worship was in the early church. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to read verses 18 and 19. Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit. And one of the reasons, or one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is we will speak to one another in psalms, Hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. See, it, it's not something that, you know, is an unusual thing. It actually should be the normal part of a Christian's life to be singing, worshiping, and praising God with song. And then if you go over to the book of Colossians for just a moment, to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16, where Paul says, let the word of Christ, so there again you have the complement, if you will, how the word of God works together with our worship. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. There again, it reminds us that the word and our worship go hand in hand. They do not compete against each other. They complement each other. And just like at the Oasis, the, the time that we spend in singing and worship is not just time to get through till we get to the teaching of God's word. It is equally important. And that's something that we need to instill into our people here at the Oasis. It's not something that we should just, you know... Uh, saunter in and and just, well, I got here for the message, but I I didn't make a point to get into the auditorium for the... No. Worship is equally important. They, They are to go hand in hand. Worship drives us to the Word. The Word drives us to worship. And you see the importance of this throughout the New Testament. All right. Enough about that. Now I want to share with you just a couple other places in the New Testament where some of these songs were recorded. Go with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians, chapter 2. I just want to point these out to you so that in case you would like to maybe just have this knowledge or study these on your own. I'm going to begin in verse 5 of chapter 2, but actually the the song, if you will, begins in verse 6. Paul says, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had who though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, looking like other men, and then coming and sharing in human nature. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and as a result, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not going to take time to read the next one, but if you turn over to Colossians chapter 1, in verses 15 through 20, I'll go ahead and read it because it's all about Jesus. It can't get any better than that. Colossians 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by Him, all things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and all things are held together in Him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that He Himself may become first in all things, for God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in the Son, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself by making peace through the blood of His cross through Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. One more I'll share with you. It's not the only ones. This is not an exhaustive list, but if you go over to Second Timothy, past First Timothy, and Second Timothy, this is only a couple verses. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul says, this saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful since he cannot deny himself. You'll notice also, and this is true in our own lives, if we put a song and we listen to it over and over again and and whatever, it's a great way to obviously remember. And many of us can remember songs that have no glory to God at all. Uh, give God n- no glory at all. So what a great way to begin to, if you will, memorize truth and memorize even scripture is by uh, 
you know, allowing ourselves to learn the words of the songs, the worship songs, the hymns, and all of that that we sing. It's a, it's a great way, again, to saturate our mind with truth. And as Paul said in Colossians uh, 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So I, I wanted to start there. That's sort of the first part of the message tonight, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, then if you will, verse 14, 15, and 16. Because I wanted to show you tonight, again, just... In a, in a very small way, how important singing and worship and praise and all of that and having songs of worship to the Lord were to the early church and in the New Testament. This is not an isolated thing, I guess is, is what I'm saying here. So then if we go up to verse 14, and I've touched on these verses uh, in my introduction to this letter, but I just want to again remind us of a couple things here of why the church is important. And notice now in the context how that sort of jumps off the page. Paul says again, I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, but I'm writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. We are a family. And how are we to live as part of the family of God? Because we are the church of the living God. We belong to the Lord. That's one of the concepts of the term church. We belong to the Lord. We are His ecclesia. And I love the description that Paul gives here of God. He is the living God. Therefore, if He is alive, if He is real, He is to be seen in His people. He is to be seen in His church. If if anybody is to see God and know that He's alive and that He's well and that He's moving and He's working and all of that, it should be in the church. And how is that accomplished? It's accomplished through the teaching of God's Word and it's accomplished through the worship of God by singing songs of truth to God and about God. Notice he goes on to say that the church, first of all, is the support The word literally means pillar or column. And in Paul's day, the pillars and columns of these temples and whatnot and public buildings were places where things would be publicly proclaimed. And so what Paul is saying is the church should be the place where God's truth is proclaimed. And a bulwark is simply a wall that surrounds and protects And Paul is saying to Timothy, we need to teach the people of the church, the people of God, that we as a church have been entrusted by God not only to proclaim the truth of God, but to protect the truth of God, to guard it. It's something that has been entrusted to us. And we do that by teaching the Word of God precisely and accurately and correctly. And we do it by worshiping God in spirit, but also in truth. You see? In truth. And then I love this as he begins in verse 16. He says, and we all agree. Unanimous consent. Human beings don't agree on anything, right? But Paul is saying, as Christians, we should be able to agree with this. That our religion, our faith, contains amazing revelation." Let me start with the word revelation. It simply is a reminder to us that you and I would know nothing unless God was pleased and chose to reveal it to us. We wouldn't know anything 
God in His grace, His mercy, His love, and all of that has chosen to reveal wonderful things to us. And Paul says to Timothy, let's remind all of us, the people of God, that this revelation that he's given us is amazing. It should cause wonder and and astonishment. And it's also of great weight and importance or should be in our lives. We should pay attention and prioritize the revelation of God. And know that as the people of God, as the family of God, as the church of God, that God again has given us this great trust. We have been entrusted with this revelation. Therefore, we are to faithfully proclaim it, and we are to faithfully protect it. The support and bulwark of the truth. Now, let's look then at this worship song or chorus, if you will. And then after that, I have a comment and then I want to go back and I want to, I want to share some thoughts about the content of this song. So the first part of the message, again, was sort of an overview of singing and worship and, and other songs contained in the New Testament. The second part of the message tonight was, again, the reminder of why is the local church important? Why is every local church important? Because it is the place where God has entrusted His people who worship there to proclaim His truth and to protect the truth. And how do we do that? We do that primarily in two ways. We do it through the teaching of the Word and we do it through the worshiping of God as we worship Him in song and we praise Him. So here it is. He, the living God in the context, because Paul just referred to God as the living God. He, the living God, was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Did you notice something about that song? Who's it about? It's about Jesus. Did you notice... The the songs, at least, that we looked at in the New Testament tonight, who were they about? They were about God. They were about Jesus. And, and, And they were good theology, you see. They were songs of truth that centered on God. I just want to stop here for a moment and, as the pastor of the church, say this. We are very blessed at the Oasis to have the worship leader here, Nicole, that we do. Um, I've been in ministry for a long, long time. And she, as a worship leader in a local church, is very rare to find. Because her heart and and her, her passion and her focus truly is on trying to build and lead a group of consecrated worshipers. And to get God's people to just so fall in love with God that we will worship Him seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And that our worship when we come together corporately is just an overflow of our individual worship. And if you know her and you know her heart, it's always about trying to get us to focus on God, not us, Many songs today, even in Christian circles, focus on people and focus on man rather than God. 
And she's very sensitive about making sure that the songs that she picks out are not just songs that go along with my crazy speaking schedule, which I change on her all the time, but that they are songs that declare the truth of God. And you can go into so many local churches today where the worship leader doesn't even pay attention to that. If the song's popular, if it's something that's on the radio necessarily, if it's something that other people want to sing, oh yeah, we'll sing it. But what about the theology? Does it line up with with our doctrine? Does, Does it line up with the Bible? They don't even consider that. Nicole takes the time to consider those things, and we are, again, very, very fortunate to have her as our worship leader. Thank you. Thank you. So let's look at this tonight. Some interesting stuff. First of all, notice that Paul says about Jesus, and this is, can I tell you, this is deep theology, guys. Why? Because he's saying, he's declaring right up front, Jesus, the living God, was revealed in the flesh. Several things. First of all, there is a strong inference here that he pre-existed before he was revealed. In other words, yes, he was revealed in the flesh, but that wasn't when he began. So all of a sudden, too, you have a declaration of his deity here in this verse. Then you have a declaration that, yes, there was a point in history where God chose to reveal, to make manifest, to make him known in human form. That he looked like a man. God the Son, Paul is declaring here, added to his deity humanity. See, many people teach that that somehow his deity was subtracted when he added humanity. No, 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 no. See, and and here's the great theology that Paul's teaching. Do you realize what Paul's saying here? He's reminding us that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And can I tell you too what Paul's also doing here? He's also teaching us about the importance of the Trinity and about how even though we believe in one God that that one God exists in three distinct persons. Why? Because only God the Son has two natures. Those two natures now eternally exist. Do you realize that? That's what the Bible teaches. That that Jesus Christ not only is 100% deity, full deity, in Him the fullness of deity dwells, Colossians, but that when He became human... (laughs) In his incarnation, he added to his deity 100% humanity. Now, can I tell you folks, every cult, every false religion, everything that is wrong about Jesus on this point, that's why they're wrong, because they can't get it right about Jesus. They, They either in some way detract from his humanity or they detract from his deity. And that's one of the things that you and I are charged to protect, both in our teaching and in our worship, is that Jesus Christ is both God and man. He's both. It's what in theology is called the hypostatic union. Throw that around. People think you're really smart. All the hypostatic union means is that in Jesus, these two natures coexist. And you can't separate them. Can I wrap my mind around that totally? No. Any more than I can wrap my mind around the eternality of God and the immutability of God and the infinity of God. I can't. 
I can understand it a little bit, but not totally. But that's what makes Jesus unique even amongst the Trinity. God the Father isn't deity and humanity. God the Spirit isn't deity and humanity. Only God the Son is 100% God and 100%. See, that's what makes Jesus unique even amongst the Trinity. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. That's heavy, you see. But it's so important today because, like I said, every false religion, every cult that doesn't get it right about Jesus, then doesn't get it right. Because either we get it right about Jesus or we get it wrong. And if we get it wrong, it's got tragic consequences connected to it. We must get it right about Jesus. We must pass on what's right about Jesus so that other people can get it right about Jesus so that they can have a relationship with Jesus and know who He truly is. Because knowing that He's God, as we talked about Sunday, that nothing is too difficult or impossible for Him, and yet also that He's human and that He is a a, a great high priest that has been through humanity and can sympathize with us. In fact, still to this day in heaven, He still carries His humanity and will throughout eternity. He never will lose His humanity. I mean, doesn't that just blow you? Oh, no wonder, Paul, said, doesn't this contain amazing revelation? He will forever carry that humanity. That's why when He was on earth, He would get hungry. He would get tired. He would sweat. He would go through all the things. He'd get thirsty and all those things. He experienced what we experienced, which is why the Bible says he could be such a great high priest. He could identify with us. But there's other reasons why as well. Why did Jesus have to become a human? Well, the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So Jesus had to take on a human body that could could bleed and die and, and be sacrificed in order for our sins to be taken care of. So much theology in here. In fact, we have the time. I can wrap this up in 10 minutes. Go to the book of Hebrews real quick. To Hebrews chapter 2. But isn't this amazing? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise shared in their humanity so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death. That is the devil and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. For surely his concern is not for angels, but his concern is for Abraham's descendants. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. See, that's again the great thing about Jesus. He's God and nothing is too hard or difficult for him, but he's also human. He gets us. That's why we can go to him. We know he gets us. Yet without sin, but he understands humanity. Oh, what amazing truth Paul was laying out. And what amazing truth they sang about Jesus. He was revealed in the flesh. Then back to 1 Timothy 3. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The word vindicated simply means he became known for who he really was. He was God. He really was God. But notice, it was through the Spirit that he became known for who he really was. 
In other words, what Paul is saying is, Jesus, even in God and His whole plan, the emphasis here is on what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. That's why when Jesus came as the God-man to earth, He didn't come to earth and, you know, fire out lightning bolts out of His fingers and stuff and show people how powerful He was and go, I'm God, go down and worship Me. He came very humbly. He came as that little baby in, in Bethlehem. And on the outside... If you just looked at Jesus externally, you you would say he's no different than you and I. Because that's the way God wanted us to learn about God. Because God wanted us not to emphasize the externals. He didn't want us to get involved with all the trappings of external things. Because that's exactly what happened to the religious leaders of Israel and the Jewish people. They got caught up on all the outward stuff. And what really counts is what's on the inside. So when Jesus came, the Bible says he was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen for who he really was through the the Spirit working through him and leading him and guiding him and all of that. Not through basically his his ability to be able to do the things that, that he could at any time have done as God. And again, why did God do that? Because he wanted to show us that from God's perspective, what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. You see. And then, seen by angels. I love this. We've talked about this in our study of Ephesians. How the angels are just, they're blown away, first of all, by what God's doing in the church. But now, can you imagine? Can you imagine the angels who have existed from, for millennia, who have been so used to all this time worshiping Jesus, the second person of the Trinity in heaven, as, as the second person of the Godhead. And then to see God take on human flesh and leave the glory that he had in heaven and come to earth, I'm sure the angels were like, what is going on? And so the word seen here literally means to stare at and gaze. It's like the angels are just like looking at Jesus like, what is up with that? Because remember, they have a perspective of Jesus that you and I don't have the privilege of having. They have seen him in heaven in all his glory. And then they were able to witness him in his humility on earth and go, what kind of God is this? that would do this for them. And they don't even care about Him. What kind of God is that? So you can imagine the angels just have this unbelievable, insatiable sort of curiosity about who God is and why He does the things. And you can understand that because when you and I come into a relationship and we begin to know this God as well, don't we have that same... God, I want to know you even more. You fascinate me. You're a wonder to me. You you amaze me. It's like, the more I I find out about you, the more I want to know about you because what you do and how you do it and all that just, well, that's the way the angels feel. So he was seen by angels. And then, Paul ends this great song of worship by reminding us that this one man who lived in a pretty obscure time in history with not all the tech stuff and the internet and, you know, Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And he was a pretty obscure individual. 
And yet this one man, unique among all who've ever lived on earth, made a worldwide impact by his life. Because Paul says, he was proclaimed among the Gentiles, or literally the nations. And the word proclaimed is an important word, especially to a preacher. Because it really means to herald or to preach. And that's the way God chose to let the world know about Jesus. For faith comes by hearing, not by primarily seeing, because we're not to walk by sight. Yet people today, even Christians, I want to see things. Well, God chose for us to hear. Faith comes by hearing. And Paul even said to the Corinthians, God chose the foolishness of what? Preaching to reach those who are believing. Preaching the word wasn't my idea. Preaching the word is God's idea. And that's how the nations of this world have come to know about Jesus. And we know that the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation that one day there will be people in glory in heaven from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group, every dialect that is spoken. Because our God is a God that if somebody truly wants to have a relationship with Him, He will make sure that someone gets to them to tell them about Him. If they respond to the light that they have been given, even in creation, God will make sure that they have further light and that they are able to come to the truth. Proclaimed among the nations. I love that. I, loved, I would love one day to be the pastor of the Oasis Church and I could look out on a Sunday or on a Wednesday and I could see people from every culture, every nation on earth. I, I just think that that would be such a great picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be. In fact, can I tell you this? A couple weeks ago, I had a family of color who comes to the church who came up to me after church on Sunday and sort of blew me away. They said, Pastor Jeff, said, yeah, we, we want to tell you something. We so appreciate that since we have been coming to the Oasis, we have been accepted here. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> but I understand that, I mean, I, I do understand reality that they wouldn't be accepted necessarily everywhere, even in churches. But to me, that is just so ungodly. That's not who God is. And then the Bible says, not only was he proclaimed among the nations, he was believed on. Many affirmed who he was in the world. Once the proclamation went out, people believed and embraced who Jesus was all around the world. Again, I think that's going to be a great day when we get to glory and we look around at heaven and we see people of all colors and and all backgrounds and all nations and stuff worshiping Jesus Christ. And then I love this. Taken up in glory. The idea is he's received back to glory because he came from glory. And now he's simply being elevated. It is interesting that in this, Paul doesn't mention his death, doesn't mention his burial, doesn't mention his resurrection, but more is focusing on who he was that came and then his impact in the world and the fact that he was glorified once again. 
And again, every, every song, and in fact, every teaching of God's Word can't be exhaustive as far as who God is or who Jesus is. We have to sort of pick because there's so much about Him that we can teach about and that we can sing about. But the thing is that this is what Paul says, Timothy, this is what you need to instruct your people about. And I love this because, again, in these three verses here in 1 Timothy, you have this marriage, if you will, between the Word of God and the worship of God. That that Paul is saying, Timothy, you teach your people well, and they will want to worship. And as they worship, they will want to make sure that they are worshiping Him in spirit, but also in truth. That they are singing truth. And that they're not just singing to God, they're singing about God. Folks, it's not, I've, I've heard so many even worship leaders and Christian, Christians talk about it's an either or. No, it's a both and. We sing to God, but we also sing about God. It doesn't have to be either or. And as far as the style goes, it doesn't have to be a certain style. It's both and. God is not to be put in a box. And so, therefore, the worship of God should not be put in a box. And yet you have so many Christians and so many churches today who wrangle over worship and over the style of worship and all of that. To me, it's so petty. It's bringing this great, amazing God down to some human level where we're, we're wrangling over these things that really, a million years from now, it's not going to matter. Let's just be a people of the Word. And let's just be a people who worship God. God is looking for a group of consecrated worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I believe that God is building that group right here at the Oasis. I believe that there are people who are growing in the Word and I believe that there are people who are growing in worship. And folks, we even have that in Crystal's children's ministry. I don't know how, because a lot of you don't have kids in her children's ministry. I want you to know, those kids over there in her children's ministry, they don't just learn the Word. They worship. They worship. They're doing the same thing that we're doing. They are being prepared even at that level. And, and Pastor Chad at the youth level, same thing. Worship and the Word. That's the way it's supposed to be in the local church. And that's what Paul wanted to share with Timothy. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the amazing revelation that you've given to us. Revelation about yourself that we wouldn't know anything about you unless you had chosen and were pleased to reveal it. And God, I pray that the revelation that you give us would so grip our hearts, so change us, so transform us that God, we would never be the same. That we would be drawn to you in a way, God, that we could not stop learning about you through your word and worshiping you with our voices and with our lives and just living lives of worship to you. God, what you have done for us is just beyond our comprehension. That you, the Lord of glory, would choose to exist the rest of your time, not only as deity, but as humanity. To to have those two natures in you throughout eternity because you love us so much that you wanted to totally identify with us. It's just amazing love. So God, go with us tonight. Help us to continue to just run after you as far as being people of the word and people who want to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Guys, God bless you. We'll see you next week.